children, other children don't. Why is it that my family is always in discord? I said, baby, I don't know. But I do know this. One thing God said he would never do is he would never leave us. He would never, ever leave us. And keep on talking to him. Keep on doing your best. Keep on supporting the church, supporting one another. And I declare God will take care of you. He'll heal your body of cancer. He'll pay your finances. And he will conform you to the image of his son. I will not be long today. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15. Thank you, Brother Chris, for your kindness and Deacon Lowe for the warm friendship that we've shared over the years. Genesis 3 and 15. Genesis 3, 15 from the King James rendering. And may I say to you, don't get caught up in the King James or New King James. Find something you're comfortable with and stay there with it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You may be seated. Dear loving and gracious Father, we come now in the precious name of Christ. Thank you for your amazing grace and kindness. Lord, use me to disseminate your eternal word. Lord, they didn't come to hear me. They came to hear you. And Lord, when we leave here today, let it be said that you decided to speak. And we decided to listen. For Christ's sake. Amen. And amen. And I will put enmity or division between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. We want to talk from the subject, the prophecy of Jesus Christ. The prophecy of Jesus Christ. In the ancestry or genealogy of Christ, we find 42 generations, 14 sets of three. Each declares the prophecy of Christ in the book of beginnings or Genesis. Genesis 3 and 15 speaks of the seed of the woman in enmity or division between thy seed and her seed. This is one of the most important prophecies in the entire canon of scriptures. The remaining pages of the Bible is the unveiling of the seed. 2 Samuel makes reference to Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, for Jacob had 12 sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Iskachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, and Judah, of which Christ came out of. Genesis 49 and 10 says the scepter or the kingship will not depart from the house of Judah. 
2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 16 says, this seed would come from Judah. So in Genesis, Satan gets busy trying to destroy the godly seed. <clears throat> Satan thought it would be one of Adam's seeds, so <clears throat> Cain killed Abel, trying to destroy the seed. But Adam and Eve had another son named Seth. Genesis 4 and 25 called Seth another seed. Since Cain slew Abel in Genesis 6, it says men became more evil and Satan continued to corrupt the seed. In Genesis 6, the Lord raised up a godly seed in Noah. He sent the flood to destroy the evil men and used Noah to raise up another godly seed. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord through Noah was to replenish the earth with good seed to stop the promise of Genesis 3 and 15. The whole Bible is the unveiling of the seed. What I've given you is a whole testament in a condensed form. But something happened. And this is not recorded in the Bible. But in 70 AD, a Roman general named Titus burned Jerusalem to the ground. A department of vital statistics, if you will, and all the genealogy records and birth certificates remaining were destroyed. Jesus had to prove he was a Messiah. This prophecy of the coming Messiah would be from Adam through Judah via David. From Adam via Judah through David. This is why the New Testament opens with the genealogy of Christ. The son of David and the son of Abraham. The birth of Christ and the Christmas story does not start in the manger. It starts with a genealogy because his baby in the manger had to qualify to be king. Remember, from Adam through Judah via David. So although the records were destroyed, the genealogy is Christ is preserved, and the term son of David is a continuation of the Davidic line. In Matthew, there are four women in the Bible that are critical to this seed. There is Tamar, there's Rahab, there's Ruth, there's Bathsheba. Remember Genesis 3 and 15, God put enmity between thy seed, Adam and her seed, Eve. And Satan would bruise the heel, but God would ultimately bruise Satan's head. But now Satan wins some battles, doesn't he? I don't know if you've ever been used by Satan. I've been used by Satan. I was in a business meeting and Satan got a hold of me and when I got home, the Lord spoke to me and said, he sure made a fool out of you. I think when the Lord, when Jesus said, Lord, prepare me a body, I think Satan said, me too. 
So this prophecy had to come through David. Tamar and Rahab were prostitutes. Bathsheba was an adulterer. She committed adultery with David. Ruth wasn't even Jewish. She was from Moab. Ruth met Boaz while gleaning in the field. Boaz saw her and they fell in love, but Ruth was a Moabite and Boaz didn't even qualify as a kinman redeemer. The Lord hopped, skipped, and jumped. And they got together. Had a son named Obed, who is the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. Matthew opens. This is a genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David. God does all of these kind of stitches to make sure the genealogy is worked out and is traced through Joseph. But there's a problem in verse 11 of Jeremiah. To Josiah was born Jeconiah. Turn with me to um, Jeremiah. Chapter 22. Jeremiah chapter 22. This is a very obscure passage. Jeremiah 22. Jeremiah is from the books of the Bible called the books of prophecy. Jeremiah 22. Jeremiah 22 and 30. It reads, Jeremiah 22 and 30. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childish, childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. For no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. He refers to a man by the name of Jeconiah, Jeconiah of his brother to the deportation of Israel. This is a bit confusing. The reference is Jeremiah 36 and Jeremiah 22. It reads, write this man childless. No man of his seed shall ever sit on the throne of David. This curse on Jeconiah was that none of his sons would be recognized due to the curse on the seed because of sin. But Jesus Christ must be from Adam through Judah via David. Here an interruption occurs. This Jeconiah problem stops the progression in the Davidic line. Remember Genesis 49 and 10, this scepter, this kingship would not depart from Judah, neither the lawgiver from between thy feet until Shiloh come. The savior of the world must come through Judah. Now, Matthew 1 and 16, to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Joseph is in the line of David to be king legally, but the curse of Jeconiah prevented him. 
Jesus is not Joseph's physical son. Jesus was adopted, if you remember. Joseph is Jesus' stepfather. If Jesus Christ was a physical son of Joseph, Joseph, he would have been disqualified from being king because of the curse on Jeconiah. The Lord again does a hop, skip, and jump. Son of Jacob was a man named Joseph, skip over Mary because Joseph is not the natural biological father. The word by whom is a feminine relative singular pronoun. And there is no place for Joseph in by whom only refers to a woman. Remember the key is Genesis 3 and 15. I'll put enmity between thy seed, Adam's seed, and Eve's seed, and the serpent will bruise his heel, but ultimately Satan's head will bruise, which will be certain death. They were trying to destroy the godly seed. And let me, let me pause a moment. Jesus, well, as old as yesterday, but as young as eternity. <laughs> On his mother's side, he says, I'm hungry. But on his father's side, he fed 5,000 in the desert place at Caesarea Philippi. On his mother's side, he said, I thirst. But on his father's side, in John 6, he says, out of thy belly shall flow rivers of living water. On his mother's side, he got tired. But on his father's side, his strength was renewed. Jesus was 100% human and 100% divine. Let's continue. This enmity that was put between the seed of the woman and to see the man in Exodus 2. The attempt was to destroy the godly seed. When Moses was put out on the Nile at three months old because Pharaoh wanted to kill all the male children, it was to kill the godly seed. This by whom this feminine relative singular pronoun refers to Mary since Jesus Christ is an adoptive son of Joseph. While there are no biological ties, there are legal ties due to the adoption, and this gives Jesus Christ legal rights to the throne through Joseph. So then God bypasses this curse on Jeconiah and maintained the legal rights by adoption. The Bible says that Christ would come down 42 generations. It has to be through the line of Judah. The Bible says no man from the line of Judah would ever sit on the throne. And even in Israel, that became a country in 1948, a man named Ben-Gurion, who the airport is named after. And some even believe that Benjamin Netanyahu, the current prime minister that they call Bibi, has the blood of David in his throne. That's why Israel is so important, because God chose Israel to bring the Savior of the world from. But Luke, 
Matthew works from David to Adam. Luke works backwards from Adam to Christ. On the biological side, for Luke was a physician, a physician, while Matthew worked for the Jerusalem IRS, if you will. Matthew shows a connection to Adam. David had a son named Nathan. In Matthew, through Solomon and David to Joseph, because Jesus was adopted. Matthew ties genealogy to Mary via David, but not Solomon. Now, David had a son named Nathan. In Matthew, the genealogy of Christ is traced through Solomon to Joseph, where Jesus is legally tied. However, in Matthew's genealogy, is tied through Mary via David, but not by Solomon, but by Nathan. Nathan was David's son. Nathan never became king, but Solomon did. Solomon and Nathan were brothers. Jesus Christ is tied legally to David's throne by Solomon and biologically to David's throne by Nathan because God orchestrated a love affair between Joseph, who was tied to David by Solomon, and Mary, who was tied to David by Nathan. This means that when Jesus Christ's parents got together, and let me say something about this. In, in our Western culture, here in the United States and in Europe, we fall in love and we get married, but in Bible days, marriages were arranged. Mom and Daddy decided that Sally Sue and Joseph would get married and you say what you wanted and you may say there's something wrong with that, but you raise your child, bringing them up in the admonition of the Lord and some joker steals that seed. I believe in arranged marriages because God put it together. Maybe that's why we wind up with some of the jokers that we with. Because we wanted who we wanted instead of who God wanted for us. Let me move forward. It doesn't get quiet. God orchestrated a love affair between Joseph, who was tied to David by Solomon, Mary, who was tied to David by Nathan. This means that when Jesus' parents got together in marriage, Jesus is covered on the legal side by David, on the biological side by David, then Jesus, are you qualified to be the Messiah? Because you've got to be the son legally and biologically. And your father by adoption is Joseph. Jesus said, let me tell you about my mama. My mama Mary is from Nathan, another son of David. So then Jesus has legal rights to the throne, biological rights to the throne, and God went through all these details to make sure this man Joseph who was about 19, and this little virgin girl, Mary, who was about 16, when they hooked up, they would satisfy the prophecy of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9 and 6 says unto us, a child is born. That's a seed of a woman. And a son is given. That's the son of God. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace and of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. This baby in the manger 
was the fulfillment of prophecy. Can you imagine a little baby in a manger blowing spit bubbles that would become the savior of the world? God could have had him born in a palace. But I'm glad that he, he came up low. And that's the posture of Jesus. He puts life where we can reach it. I don't know about you. You don't learn much about life from the top down. You learn from the bottom up. And that story is woven in the fabric of we as African Americans who we've had to make it through the peanut farms of Georgia, through the cotton of Mississippi, through the rice paddies of Arkansas, and through the muck and mire of Mississippi. We understand something about coming up hard, but I'm glad I came up hard. So this baby in the manger was to become the savior of the world. Well, in Genesis, he's a seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's a great I am. In Leviticus, he's a substitute. In Deuteronomy, he's an eagle that stirs up its nest. In Numbers, he's a brazen serpent. You remember what, what, what Jesus says in John 3, and he quoted Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. In Joshua, he makes walls tumble. In Judges, he saps of strength. In Ruth, he's a kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he's Hannah's promise. In 2 Samuel, you want to see a beautiful portrait. God had removed Saul. And Saul and his son, Jonathan, had fallen on the sword. The Lord said, I prepared for me a king. Go down to Jesse's house, he told Samuel. They got there and he said, one of these boys are going to be king. Shammah was there. Abinadab was there. The other four sons were there. And whoever would walk under David had a horn of oil. And he turned that horn upside down. Whoever would be king, the oil would run on. I would imagine they'd been to Cox Cleaners and had their suits pressed, had their shirts done, and a bit of that walked up and David did this and nothing happened. Shama walked up and did this and nothing happened. The question was asked, are there any more children here? Yeah, we got one little run out there, but he ain't nobody. He just keep his sheep. Samuel said, go get him. We won't sit down till he comes. They brought in little David. He smelled like sheep. The narrative says he was ruddy of good countenance. And David walked under this horn of oil. And the narrative says, and the oil did run. And in 1 Samuel 16 and 7, it says, God doesn't see as man see it. God looking at the outward appearance. Man look at the outward appearance, but God look at the heart. And to show you that David had the right spirit. When he was anointed king, he didn't step up to the throne. He went back keeping his father's sheep until his time came. The lesson is, let God promote you. Let everybody else 
push and shove to get in front and let God promote you. So in 1 Samuel, he was this horn of oil. In 1 Kings, he's a half that's never been told. In 2 Kings, there was an axe head that the prophet threw in the water. And it was anointed and the Bible says, and the iron did swim. This axe head floated. In 1 Chronicles, he's a covenant renewed. In 2 Chronicles, he heals our land. In Ezra, he's the one that reads a scroll from morning until evening. In Nehemiah, he says, stay on the wall. In Esther, he's Mordecai's scepter. You want some interesting reading, you read the book of Esther. And you see Haman that, 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 that built a gallow for somebody he hung on the same gallow that he built on. If you dig a ditch for somebody, you better dig too. In 2 Chronicles, he heals our land. In Ezra, he's the one that reads the scroll from morning to evening. In Nehemiah, stay on the wall. He's Mordecai's scepter. In Job, he's a living redeemer. You want to read something good, you read Job 19 and 25. That I know my redeemer liveth and shall stand in the latter day. And when these skin worms eat up my flesh, it's spirit in my flesh, I'll see God. In Psalms, when we get discouraged, he gives us songs in the night. In Proverbs, he's the wisdom. You know, we were taught Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as children, and it still works. Talks about keeping God first in our lives, and he'll reward us. In, in Proverbs, he's the wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, here's a conclusion of the whole matter. In Songs of Solomon, he's the one that cometh forth as a morning. In Isaiah, he's David's garments from Basra rolled in blood. In Jeremiah, he's a weeping prophet. In Lamentation, he's our flowing tears. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 55 that all of our tears, God has put them in a bottle. He remembers your trials. He knows the number of hairs on your head. The Bible says a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without his permission. He remembers your trials. He knows what you're going through, and he knows why. In Ezekiel, he's our dry bones. In Daniel, he's our stone hewed out of the mountain. In Hosea, he's a faithful spouse. In Joel, he's our young man's vision and old man's dreams. In Amos, he's the two that must walk together except they agree. In Obadiah, he's a godly man in a secular job. Do you work a job and they want you to do something uh, illegal? You do what's right and God will honor you. In Jonah, he's our protector. Michael, he's Bethlehem's promise. In Nahum, he's our deliverer. In Rebekah, he's a Lord that's in his holy temple. In Zephaniah, he consumes man and beast. In Haggai, he overthrows kingdoms. In Zechariah, he's a prophecy of one riding on a donkey. And you want to be encouraged, you look at Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. It doesn't say when Christ will return, but it says where he'll return. That on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. And when he 
comes down through that Kedron Valley through the east, that sky is going to split. And the Bible says the dead in Christ arise first. And we that are alive and remain shall be called up to be with him in the air. That's not all he is. In Malachi, he's a window of heavens. You know, Malachi chapter 3 talks about if we pay our tithes, he'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing you won't have room enough to receive. Every house I've been in always has more windows than it does doors. God will bless you if you just honor him. Honor him. He knows your circumstances. Pastor, I don't have the faith to give 10%. Well, give something and ask him to bless it. And as he blesses you, you give a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. He understands your situation. You can go to heaven if you don't tithe. You just go catch hell on earth if you don't. God understands your circumstances. Give him something, ask him to bless it, and you watch him grow you. But Genesis to Malachi, that's just half of what he is. Matthew, he's a genealogy of Christ. And Mark, he's a miracle worker. In Luke, he's a son of man. In John, he's a son of God. In Acts, he's a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. In Romans, he's our teacher. In 1 Corinthians, and I love it, now abide his faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. One thing about 1 Corinthians that I love, it, it, it it suggests to us, and listen to me closely, that we're going to recognize our loved ones when we get to heaven. It says, now we see through a glass darkly, but then we'll see face to face. How about that? You're able to get your arms around your mother and your father. I don't know the form that we'll know them in, but it says we'll see them again. How comforting that is. That's why we can't say goodbye on this side. We just say see you later. In 1 Corinthians, he's love. In 2 Corinthians, he's our death conqueror. In Galatians, he's our restorer. In Ephesians, he's a grace by which you're saved. In Philippians, he is a mark of a high prize. In Colossians, it says, in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In 1 2 Thessalonians, he's a trump of God. In 1 Timothy, he's a preacher's teacher. In 2 Timothy, he's a book that Paul left at Troas. In Hebrews, he's our faith. In James, he's our practical wisdom. In 1 Peter, he's a sincere milk of the word of God. In 2 Peter, oh, this is beautiful. He says, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. You know, you can lean on him, and he won't give way. The old folks say he's a, he's a leaning post. We've leaned on him all our lives, and he's still standing strong. 1, 2, and 3 John. He's a perfect love that casteth out fears. And Jude, and I love this, it says, Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling 
and present us faultless before the presence of his glory with ma majesty, with glory to the only wise God, our Savior. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and power. In Revelation, he's a signature God. For the Bible says on his thigh and on his vesture is written the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I believe in the prophecy and the ancestor of Christ that he is coming back. Remember in the Mount of Olivets when two men in white, when Jesus ascended into heaven and they said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing? Just like he was taken up, he's going to return. And you know what? If God can orchestrate this ancestry of Jesus Christ because all of what God has done in the past and pull this together from yesterday, I know he can take care of my tomorrows. Now, you know what? Maybe you're like me. I'm not perfect. We can't undo our sins, can we? The thing I love about the Lord he can walk back into our yesterdays. He can walk back into our yesterdays. That's what he's done in my life. Perhaps that's what he's done in your life. And I'm just about done. There was a pastor. He had served the church for 50 years. He wasn't trained in the ministry. He was an electric, electrical engineer. He went to college for engineering and gave up a six-figure job and abandoned that for the ministry. He was married, his wife and his son were killed in a horrible car accident. He became depressed, despondent, and dejected. All of us have been there. He said, Lord, what did I, what did I do so bad to cause me to lose my dear wife and my son? He was walking along the streets and he was so depressed and dejected and he saw a man that was constructing a building and the man had a piece of stone that he was chiseling at and he asked the man, he says, sir, what are you doing? He said, you see that building way up there? You see that hole in that building, that crack? He says, I'm fashioning this stone down here so it'll fit up there. That's what God is doing with us. He's getting us ready down here to fit. It hurts sometimes. Yes, it does. When you're trying to do what you believe is right, trying to do by right family and trying to do right by church and your loved ones, and we won't start on family. If you living for the Lord, the devil got your family, I'm telling you. My granddaughter called me. What are you doing tomorrow, Papa? That means she got me on her schedule. <laughs> God is working on us down here so we can fit. So we can fit up there. Well, Pastor, you don't, you don't understand. Pastor, I'm battling this addiction, and I don't know what to do. I just can't help myself. You know what I'm going to tell you to do? I ain't going to tell you to let go of the addiction. 
I'm going to tell you to get your clothes ready on Saturday night and keep coming to church on Sunday morning. And just keep presenting yourself. Keep presenting yourself to the Lord. And what he'll do, your, your love for him will dry up that addiction for something else. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I, I lost my mother and my family's crazy and they're leaning on me. You talk about hurt. God knows what hurt is like. He was rejected by his own. The narrative says he came unto his own. His own received him not. But as many as did receive him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. He knows about your rejection. He knows about family problems. He knows everything you're going through. And what I'm going to do is ask you to just trust him with your life. God did not say the sailing would be smooth, but he did promise us a safe landing. You don't have to be perfect to serve him. Just present yourself to him. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 10. Brethren, my heart desire and prayer to God is for Israel that they might be saved. But I bear them record. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You don't have to know the Bible to be saved. You just know God. They being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. The marijuana won't get you high enough. The heron won't make you feel good enough. But the high that Christ gives you, you will never come down. He saves us instantly. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is instantaneous, but conversion takes time. God will work with you. He'll get out of you what needs to come out of you. He'll put in you what needs to put, be put in you. And he'll do it little by little by little. Part of it is just showing up and being faithful. Lord, I don't know me. You know me. My mama told me you would stick with me if I stick with you. And Lord, I'm going to give you my life. However little it is, I give it. I give it over to you. And when you do that, he'll give you eternal life. And I declare to you, I'm not there yet. But when God has done everything for you that he's done for you, nobody can do anything to hurt you. Will you stand to your feet, please? Invitation to Christian discipleship. You can come three ways. Christian experience, candidate for baptism, or by letter. But do come you've not accepted Jesus Christ you are living beneath your privilege he said he that would come to me I would know wise cast out well pastor I'm not good enough none of us are good enough the Bible says even at our best we're filthy rags but I need you to know this that he knows you better than you know you and I'm simply gonna ask you to trust him do what millions have done They've taken their lives and they put it in his hands. Father God in heaven, we come now 
in the precious name of Christ. Thank you for your written word. Thank you for your spirit, Father. And Lord, if there's anybody here, we are saved, but we are being saved, Father. Anybody here that does not know you in the free pardon of their sin, we ask that you would save them right now. Lord, they're not saved by walking down an aisle or raising their hand. They're saved because they allow your spirit to enter their body and your spirit take over in their lives. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for your healing spirit. Thank you for doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Thank you for your son, Father, who hung, bled, and died for our sins and who's coming back to receive us unto himself. And Lord, we are not perfect. We're being perfected, Father. We're saved, Father. Lord, you gave us love on layaway, Father. Lord, before the foundation of the world, a lamb was slain. And that salvation was made possible for all of us. Lord, we receive it in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen and amen. God bless your new mission.